tired today. You tired today? Yeah, I'm officially doing this podcast to sleep. For I'm well, tired. Look, we've all been there. We've all had, you know, recordings that we're technically there for, but you know, they're they're more in in practice than in uh, in oh, reality. Yeah. Like every episode uh, of this show I've been on. Hey. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that this podcast is taking place inside a dream I'm having while in a coma, like that TV show that was on when I was a kid that I can never remember the name. Saint of. Elsewhere. But no, I, th- I think the word Odyssey was in the title and it was some sort oh. of drama starring teenagers. Well, that's that's famously the end of Saint Elsewhere is that this kid wakes up and the whole show was him having uh, a coma. So no, this 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 was the explicit conceit of the show, mm. not like a twist or an ending. It, it The show was... Kid in a coma, adventures in some other, possibly I, another I'm pretty, world. Is this an early 90s TV show? Because it might just be called The Odyssey. Everything I remember from 1992 early, to 94? Everything I remember is an early 90s TV show. And I believe you're correct. I believe it is The Odyssey. I'm looking at it now. Uh, following an accident, young Jay Ziegler falls into a coma while his family and friends must continue their lives in the real world. Jay finds himself in the magical down world on a quest to return home. It's fucking down world, mate. That's... It's got a real, like, Mad, Ma- like Mad Max-esque... Yes, I, I vaguely recall that. It's Mad Max meets, like, the, the, the 80s Mario movie in its aesthetic... <laughs> Like there's some there's some fascinating stuff going on here. Actually, like the Mario to which you refer, the live action is yeah. actually like ninety three. Yep, ninety two. Yeah. So, huh? I guess it. I mean, that was very much like the style of things at the time. I suppose. Yeah. Um. So very reflective. Yeah, it's just the Odyssey. You're right. I've only got like the vaguest memories on the periphery um vague costumes in my mind that like you say quite mad maxi very road warrior um yeah I, i'm pretty sure i remember some feathers my thing i was gonna bring to the start of the episode this week because uh i i i can't let the people doing this get away with it and i have to use the platform i have to talk about it Disney's trying to retcon jizz music. Ah, yes, this is this is this is a, very a point important. of serious passion for you. Yeah, this, this is a very serious passion point for me. For anyone who doesn't know, there's a band that plays music in the original set of Star Wars films, and th- the music is called jizz music. Mm-hmm. And the person who plays one of the instruments, the instrument's called a jizz whaler. Uh, if I may, okay, yeah, the yeah. band is called Figrin Dan and the Modal Notes. Yep, yep. I had three books as a kid, all about, like, Star Wars' Underworld, Cantina, Jabba's Palace, and The Bounty Hunters. Um, but sorry, do carry on. I just, I love those books. Yeah, no, I, I'm a big, look, I'm a big fan of jizz music. It is it is a, <laughs> a cultural element of the Star Wars universe. And in a recent re- redone novelization of the, the original uh, trilogy, they've renamed it Jats Music. Yeah. It's They're trying to shocking. pretend they never made it jizz. It's fucking shocking. Like, I grew up with jizz in my ears. Like, <laughs> right? that's what that means to me, right? You can't take away my jizz. You can't. <laughs> Free the jizz. 
I think if if this podcast, when it was set up in 2014, if this podcast has ever been about anything, and it's always been the theme of this show, it's free the jizz. We talk on this show a lot about, you know, like, the kinds of gaming fans that will go, oh, you can't change anything from the creator's original vision. Yeah, where are they now? Yeah. Where are they now? Where are those armies r- loudly demanding we return the jizz music to Star Wars? Gather ye, banter bastards, and fight for the jizz. I mean, for God's sake, I have always sort of found it cringe when fans, especially Star Wars fans, they're some of the worst fucking fandoms in the world. Um, but that phrase, you killed my childhood, <laughs> um, that's often an incorrect thing because the stuff you liked is still there. There is stuff I don't like. I don't like how Alien Covenant like fucked the Xenomorphs narratively by giving them an explanation when they never need. It does a fucking annoy me, but I can't say it killed my childhood because my childhood. Well, first of all, my parents did that, but the Aliens films are still there. But this killed my childhood and jizzed on the corpse. This is the only time that phrase has ever been correctly used, and I will die on that hill. Absolutely. Bring back the jizz. It's infantile on their part. Like, I know that it's infantile to laugh at it and go, her, her, jizz. But, like, all they've done is draw attention to it, and everyone had accepted it. All you've done is validate that it, it, it wasn't just jizz music, it was jizz music. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. You know, it could have just been a little space word. But now that you've changed it, it's like, oh, you've changed it because that music was about spunk. Disney, in trying to wreck on jizz music, has actually confirmed and canonised jizz music because they've confirmed that it's spunk. They've confirmed Mm -hmm. that it's spunky listening. That's what it is, for fuck's sake. (laughs) I, I find that just sad like again stuff that i have a problem with with phantoms is accusations of puritanism because most of the time it means just respecting people's human rights and dignity and people (laughs) say oh political correctness gone mad and all of that but no like this is modern puritanism and by that i mean this is corporate sanitization that is so desperate to make everything universally appealing and capture as big an audience share as possible, that they go to extreme lengths and start... Basically, they're scrubbing at a painting till you can only see canvas underneath. Um, It is an extreme form of sanitisation that quite genuinely alarms me. It's chiz. I'm going to start calling them Disney. <laughs> Welcome to Podquisition. Welcome it's to Podquisition. It's a video game show. We talk about video games. I do want to just complain that I have been awake for 36 hours. At, that that was how my week started. And That's then I got a little mean. bit of a kick. It's very mean. And then I was up till 4am yesterday because my brain won't shut up. Being your neurodivergent is l- literally tiring. That it is. That it is. Literally so, physically tiring. <laughs> that it is. Uh, so we're going to kick off with you talking about games today. And if you need to go have a nap off. at some point in the show, we, 
you know, yeah, we I understand how it is. Probably <laughs> going to peel off about halfway through, but I am here until then. And I'll kick off with sort of the main game that had my attention this week, and I know you've uh, been playing it as well, Laura. Um, yeah. <clears throat> it's been on my radar for a while. I downloaded the demo, but the demo... Um, disappeared before i got round to it mm. so i have played a game called el paso elsewhere i mentioned it on the gymquisition this past week um it is i i finished it all 50 fucking levels of it and <laughs> basically what it is is it's max pain that's what it is sort of mechanically they have just lifted everything from max pain the story is different. It's you are a painkiller addict who is descending into the depths of possibly hell to stop his ex-girlfriend from destroying the world because she's a vampire. The conceit, as an elevator pitch, I fucking love that. As a game, it is very repetitive and fucking janky. As a story, it is engrossing as a mm. showcase of the um, main voice actor. It's terrific. The guy playing James is incredible, I think. Um, and the themes it touches on um, are themes that are quite meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a chronic pain sufferer. I am on codeine every day and have had struggles with that because even if you need it, an addictive substance is an addictive substance. And I've had to be very careful um, about my relationship with, with that. And what they've done in El Paso Elsewhere is they've not really fucked that up. It's mm -hmm. mat It's presented sort of matter-of-factly because it's coming from a guy who knows what he is. There's this wonderful mm -hmm. moment where, near the beginning, where he's talking in sort of... Th there's a very Max Payne delivery, a very noir feel to what he's saying. And he starts talking about this seemingly hypothetical drug addict and then just looks at the camera and says, Hi, I'm the drug addict, by the way. Um, mm. And it's just such a wonderfully delivered line. And the things he talks about, about his feelings towards himself as he falls off the mm. wagon, and at least from his point of view, because they are healing items and are clearly significant in this sort of realities mm. and in this void, the idea of falling off the wagon to an addictive substance that is nonetheless necessary mm -hmm. is, again, very personally poignant. And then there's the other theme of abusive relationships, emotional abuse. The character is an abuse survivor, um, makes a point, and this is what I really like about this is it makes the point that his ex never hit him because when abuse is portrayed in media and we've talked mm. about this before when abuse yeah. is portrayed in media it's always the most extreme version it's always the violent the sensational 
you know, they turn it up as much as possible. And that is, as I have said on this show in the past, something that made it very difficult to come to terms with an abusive ex I had in that I was never hit. So in my mind, it wasn't abuse. But this game straight up fucking points out that you can be traumatised to fuck by someone who is just so controlling and someone who makes you so desperate for their approval that it is very genuinely an abusive situation. There's some audio that plays at various points, like audio recordings. There is a moment where Draculaia, the um, the ex, is... And I guess this is sort of spoilery. Um, it's not really any revelations, but, but just to be forewarned. There is a sound, a, an audio file of her smashing plates and mm. telling James that he's doing it. And... Yeah. I... I was disturbed after listening to that and not because the game did anything wrong. So, yeah, I was... I have some problems with it as a game. But because of the story hooks and because of the performances, I went through all 50 levels. And then I heard the end credit music and... And it just hit. Yeah. It just hit. It, bef- yeah, before we get onto it as a game, I, I I don't have a huge amount to add to what you've said there. I think you put a lot of that very well. Um, I The main thing I want to sort of add, I think, is this is one of the better games I've played in a long time in terms of trying to use gameplay mechanics to reinforce narrative in a way that doesn't feel like an overly forced metaphor. It feels just very simply and smartly done, and, like, it is consistently and effortlessly reinforcing itself. That interplay between the relationship with falling off the wagon and the mechanical uh, utility of healing items, it doesn't... It, it it doesn't make more of a point of it than it needs to, but it is made clear enough that it is constantly in the back of your mind. And I really want to emphasize how well they had one gameplay plus narrative link they made, and they didn't muddy it at all, and it stays pretty damn clear. Yeah, and absolutely. And that is a hard line to walk. Oh yeah, it is something that could so easily go wrong i mean yeah on a surface level at just hearing the description you play a painkiller addict and you heal by downing bottles of painkillers like yeah surface level of that it fucking sounds awful and tasteless but because the character is before they get to painkillers as a healing item they have already portrayed like demonstrated a very sympathetic portrayal where this guy is not saying what he's doing is right, but he is a victim yeah. of it. it. It is unfortunately the situation he is in, whether it's the situation he wants to be in or not. Yes, yes. And, yeah. The scenes that you get, 
not the flashbacky like audio, but the mm. scenes you get between James and Dracula are so well done in terms of the lack of animosity. The fact that he's there to kill her and she fucking did such a number on him. And they still love each other. And Mm. when they talk, it's so sad. There's not angry. Like there's even a point where like he's talking about how like hard it is because he's not angry. Um, And again, stuff that, that hits home to me on a personal level, this sort of feeling hurt, but not hating the person that hurt you. Mm. Um, It's, they did great. It's just a shame that you could take 50% of the levels out and lose nothing. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, like, it's Max Payne. And it is the first level of Max Payne over and over again, for the most (laughs) part. Um, As you play, after a long time of playing, you get a second enemy. (laughs) And then Mm. there's a drip feed of them. And admittedly, the levels do open up. I'm talking to a friend of mine, Olivia, at the moment, and she's talking about how the the bullet time mechanics that were the kind of foundation of Max Payne Mm. aren't getting a chance to shine because the game is all tight corridors and enemies don't have guns for a mechanic that was built around gunfire. Um, Mm. Now, the game does open up. It takes up many levels, but it does eventually stop being motel room corridors and there are some wonderful, like, visuals in terms of colour. Lovely, like garish colours that remind me of like um, heart, what was the, the western game that we played last year oh um, oh gosh oh man it's it was something west yes and yeah. now I'm running through the six or seven different game titles involving <laughs> west that have released yeah. in the last like two years um, but it's like that lots of, of... was it weird west Weird West was a Devolver Digital. No. Yeah, that was the other one. Yeah. I'm trying to. Th- I'm trying to think through the. There's a lot of games that yeah. had West in the title that we played. But the Western <laughs> action one. game, yeah. where you fight vampires, um, that was a good game. Uh, but yeah, I'm reminded of the the co- sort of color contrast, the kind of thing that you like was in the movie Creep Show, the harsh reds and greens clashing. Um, and and there's lots of other sort Evil West? Sort of... Evil West, Evil that's West. it. Yeah, that yeah. sounds familiar. Got, the, got there in the end. Got there, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the levels do open up and, and there are some really sort of cool stages once you get out of the, the motel. Um, but by the end of the game, I was sort of surprised it was still going. Because eventually the enemies do stop, like new ones do stop appearing, and there is only a handful of them, and most of them go down in a couple shots. So you're fighting them the same way, 
And I didn't even feel a need most of the time to use the slowing down, to use the bullet mm. time. Um, only occasionally, in, like fittingly enough, for the handful of ranged enemies, the the little sort of ghosty brides that teleport and throw balls at you. But for the most part, I was getting on just fine. And what you have in terms of gameplay is a third-person shooter ripped straight from the early years of the PlayStation 2 with none of the refinements, but keeps it simple enough to where I'm not super annoyed by that. But there is no variety to that gameplay. You spawn in a level, you run around it freeing hostages, like prisoners, then make it back to the elevator that drops you off into the level. And that's almost entirely it. Sometimes you just go to an elevator without freeing the, the like, finding innocence. But for the most part, that's it. Couple of bosses later on. Um, and it is very buggy as well. Very, the, the physics yeah. are already wonky. But like whole bits of the stage flickering in and out of existence. I don't know if you've seen any of that, Laura. I have. I yeah. have indeed. The floor will go. The walls will go. They're all still there, but they're invisible. And that extends to the enemies, which is the last fucking thing you want. The main way I would talk about this game's gameplay, I think, is that it's not bad to play. No. But yeah. if the narrative wasn't there, I wouldn't keep playing for the gameplay. Yes, that is perfect. The gameplay is serviceable enough that it is not a bad way to spend time between the narrative. Mm -hmm. But without the narrative, the gameplay would not stand on its own. Yes, the gameplay is a narrative delivery vehicle. Yes. It is functional. That is all I could say about it, is it is functional. And like you say, not unpleasant to play. No, it is no. fine. It's a bit repetitive and it takes a while to do anything new with the gameplay it has on hand. And it doesn't feel like there's like a narrative reason that that has to be the case. It just kind of is, but it's okay. The narrative is strong enough to carry it. I loved finishing a level because I'd get a cutscene. Because yes. I'd get some dialogue, because I'd get, because I'd hear James talk. I just love hearing him talk. Oh, I am the... so blown away by by the vocal performance and and the sharp writing. Yeah, but both the writing and the the narrative delivery are so well matched together. They are an absolute treat. Cannot over overstate how how much they make any problems this game have kind of unimportant yeah I, I, i'm gonna be reviewing it i i don't know what i'm gonna give it because i never do till i write what i've written and then match that tonally with a score but it's gonna be an interesting one it's gonna be similar to the puppet combo games i've been playing like night at the gates of hell where there is something about it that i couldn't recommend to a lot of people but for a certain niche Absolutely. Mm. Also, another thing I need to say while I remember, the fucking soundtrack. The oh, fucking yeah. music. 
those levels like that's the that's when the I'm engrossed in the gameplay are the levels where a rap soundtrack like a rap song plays and it's usually James doing it or at least it sounds mm-hmm. like it and it as it starts you think you're hearing voiceover dialogue uh, because he talks frequently through the game and then it just then a beat happens and then he is like repeating like stuff like rhythmically and it's fucking great it is catchy as hell and it continues to reinforce that narrative really well yep Yep. lyrically it is all relevant it is repetition to really drill home the things that need to be on your mind in between the points of progression in the narrative it is serving a purpose and it's doing it really well yeah so it is one of those precious little games that transcend everything it's doing wrong and this is something that sometimes confuses people that have problems with the way i review games where they want everything to be a direct comparison you know i would fully expect like a starfield fan to be like well why are you forgiving this for being janky and criticizing starfield for being janky and it's because of some games have transcendent properties that break their way through those issues there's been a couple reviews i've written over the years where i've said if this was in any other game i would not forgive it at all but those games don't have a hook elsewhere we all have those games where we're like, ah, it's that game that I love with all my heart that is objectively kind of bad on paper. Yes, The Sinking City. The the worst yeah. game I ever loved, question mark. <laughs> uh, my my favourite 7 out of 10 No More Heroes. There's stuff in that that I love that carried me through some real bad design choices. Yeah. You know? A lot of Suda51 stuff, yeah. especially. Yeah, there are certain games, and this is something unique to the medium, I think with the exception of, like, a so-bad-it's-good film. Although most of the time those films are still bad. Like, The Room is hilariously entertaining, but it's still, like, an objectively shit film. But there are certain games that are so bad in many ways, yet are doing something that makes it genuinely good. I guess the film equivalent would be something like a beautifully told story that was recorded by people who didn't know what they were doing with the text. So, like, there's out-of-focus shots and, Mm. like, poorly framed, slightly wobbly shots, but the story being told is fantastic. Like, I could see that existing, but you don't get it in the same way that you kind of do with video games sometimes. You get some, some, some wonky technical elements, but something magical pulling it through. Yeah. I think that's a, a good equivalent. The, the sort of, bad tech, good writing. Although Mm. I think what makes games a bit unique is that that can be so off-putting because you only have the visuals and the audio um, to get that stuff across. And I like to think that I'm a pretty decent writer when it comes to videos, but I've had things where the microphone is fucked up and it's too distracting. Whereas games can have this unique property where because it's audiovisual narrative and mechanics that can have all sorts of things going wrong and going right, there's a lot more to play with. 
in terms of presentation and what the audience takes from it. And I think there are a few elements that are unique to games and not enough games take advantage of the fact that they're games. Not to always bag on Quantic Dream, but a Quantic Dream (laughs) game that is so obsessed with trying to be a film that it hasn't stopped to think, what can we do as a game to produce a film-like experience that you couldn't have by simply shooting a film? Which is important for Quantic Dream, because if Heavy Rain was a movie, I've said this before, it would be laughed out of a theatre it would be on the same level as a Tommy Wiseau film. And I genuinely believe that. And I'm not just saying it because David Cage is French. I always worry people think that's what I'm doing. But I genuinely rate their talent the same. And El Paso Elsewhere is one of those games that, as a game, has a lot going wrong with it, but has that transcendent quality. Yeah. Thank you for letting me wax philosophical on all that. A lot of what I would have had to say would have mirrored, but I think I playing this game through, I very much was like, specifically this is a game for Steph to talk about, I think. I really appreciate that. I um, Yeah, the game means something to me personally, and I have appreciated the just the chance to wax yeah. lyrical about there, it. There is stuff in there that is personally impacted me too but yeah i i it, it's something special that one um yeah yeah um conrad what you what you been playing this week oh well uh i played that amanda the adventurer game that you were talking about last week that yeah, little horror game based around the children's it's, tv yeah, show yeah you sort of Dora the Explorer tapes. Right. Um, yeah. I really like this. Mm. I like the way that it is, A, conveying its puzzle information. Because yeah. it, it's always sort of right there if you're even modestly paying attention. there There's one section of it where I'm like a little, okay... This would be tedious to have figured out entirely on your own. There's a section that has one of those, you know, like uh, the the speaking spell. Oh, the speaking spell spell, with the the pause button. Yeah. 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 Having to go through all of the, like, clicking around in that scene to try and find whatever it is that's going to trigger the correct symbol to show up for you. That's a little, eh, I'm not wild about that. But I've I've gotten two of what I think are three endings. And I think there's more than three because I've got three and I've got three and I think I'm I've started another one. Oh, okay. Well, actually, no. Now that I think about it, I think there's like four torn stickers on the the TV when you yeah. look at it. So there's probably a fourth one in there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I I like the way this works. I like how not only you know the information that it's conveying for you about the you know puzzle route that takes you to the next tape but like the little bits of additional information that are tucked away in there with the intent of you experimenting and finding related solutions to puzzles that will give you more context Um, yes and sometimes finding entirely separate little side tapes that aren't going to progress you but will give you more like insight into where you're going and i 
I like that the like the core path of progression is pretty clear, but that those things are like just just out of sight enough. Yeah, just on the periphery. But yeah, I mean, I have a a cabinet left to open. I've you know no clue where the answer for that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm I I, would, I hesitate to say I'm struggling because I'm not that invested in finding the last ending, but I yeah. might I might go and just look up solutions just to see the content because I am curious yeah. to see what else they do with it, and it feels like there is an answer ultimately. That's like yes. the sense it's giving me is that I'm actually going to get an answer. Which will be very, very frustrating if I don't. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm on. I think the fourth go through, and I suspect you are right that that is going to be the final one. And I'm still of the opinion that I, I get the same sense as you that it will have an answer, and I appreciate that, and I hope that that is correct. But yeah it's it's not a thing where I'm like desperately I need to finish this right now. I need right. to know how it ends, but I've been enjoying the journey, yes, yeah very much and so. i've I've been enjoying the ways that like little things tweak the path a bit, as you say the the puzzle solutions are like very simple and in your face for the core progression path, but I do like that there are a couple of times where they play with that where they they get you used to there's one answer and it's very simple and it's right in front of you. And then give you a tape where uh, I'm thinking of an early one where it's like, ah, a time was mentioned. That's probably the answer. Sure. And then it turned out there were like five times either mentioned or shown. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I got too locked in on thinking you were just going to tell me the one thing and that was going to be the answer. Yeah. And like playing around with stuff like that. But yeah, I like the information delivery that they do mm. because it is it's. So also of, like, the medium that it seeks right. to emulate, right? Yeah. It, yeah, it is so Dora the Explorer of, do you know the time on the clock? I'm going to repeat it for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, again, that serves to, like, not be a barrier to you seeing what comes next, and I appreciate yep. that. <laughs> yep. Very clever game. I, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what else is, is yeah. in there. I need to get this. Yeah, you do. I? Yeah. It's, it's, I, yeah. It, it's, it's not that long. It's not that complicated puzzle-wise. And it just feels really neat. Yeah. Yep. Got the I'm, Steam Deck in my hands. Going to get yeah. it out. In agreement on that. Uh, so, yeah, that's the main thing I played this week. Um, I've also been... And I'm, I'm doing it right now. Um, I, I've mentioned I've gotten back into painting miniatures. And somebody mm. in my Discord made the observation that um, on Epic last week, it'll be no longer the free game by the time this is out, but Model Builder, a sim game oh. where you build models. Yes. This is the, is this the, the, the like, the, the knockoff Gundam model building? Well, there one. there is some, I think there are it, some yeah. mechs in here eventually. Um, it, it's, it has started me off with, like, a couple of military vehicles. And a a dwarf like a, a a dwarf enchanter or something. They have a partnership with a uh, a company that makes miniatures, miniature wargaming miniatures and and fantasy <laughs> miniatures. Uh, Titan Forge, I think, is yes. Titan Forge. They have oh, a partnership. Oh, yeah, Titan Forge. Yeah, yeah. So some of their models 
are appearing in this, which is which is kind of perfect. Like, what great synergy for a company that is already basically just 3D printing their models. Fantastic. Mm. You just get your assets in there. Perfect. But then I went and looked at the Titanforge website, and this is not a, a company that I'm familiar with, but it is one of my favorite kinds of miniature makers. Mm. The ones who like to tread the line on infringement. <sighs> <laughs> the ones yeah. that like to go right up to it. <laughs> uh, I'm speaking specifically about a model that they have on here called the Venom Redemptor. And I'm going to send a photo of this to you so you can see what I mean. What do you see when you see the Venom Redemptor there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm partially laughing because of what I'm seeing. Right. And I'm partially laughing because every time I see the Toxic Avenger, I think of the Toxic Avenger 4, which, as tasteless and offensive and awful as it is, is so fucking funny mm-hmm. in places. Like, and don't get me wrong, like, there is stuff in there that is, like, on the same level as shit I said ten years ago. Like, it's well, that yeah, bad. It's a, it's a trauma production. It's, it's trauma, yeah. But the fact that they had a relatively, for them, serious film called Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD. <laughs> and then Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD is in, is in that film is in Toxic Avenger 4 as this drunk moron <laughs> and and just hilarious with it. Also, I I don't know if the joke predates The Simpsons, the, damn it, they're very slowly getting away. <laughs> but I remember it in this, and part of me wants to say that Toxic Avenger 4 came out first, and it's a great fucking line. I've... Vaguely remember an old granny being run over by a car. And Lemmy, of course. I realise I'm just banging on about Toxic Avenger 4 now, but I might have to rewatch it. And and again, listeners, I cannot stress how tasteless and bad the film is and that I will be judged if I watch it and enjoy it. For it is a trauma film. But every time I see the Toxic Avenger, I... In a rare twist for me, I'm, I don't think about the cartoon spin-off. Because, of course, that's <laughs> where my mind always goes. It's Saturday morning cartoons. Um, and I... Long before I ever watched a trauma film, I fucking loved that TV show. The... Um, I forget what it was called. Because I don't think it was... Was it called Toxic Crusaders? Uh, Toxic Crusaders was the game that they made based oh, on, okay. and might, that might have also been the name of the animated series, but that was the name of the, yeah. I think, NES title that they put out. Right. That might be it then, because I can imagine an NES game being based on the cartoon way more than being based on any of the trauma films. Yeah, Toxic Crusaders was the animated series. Yeah, yeah. I watched the shit. It was that and Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh. I watched the shit mm. out of those cartoons. Yeah. Oh, I'm feeling nostalgic again, which I need to not do because I am, I'm having an oh my god, I'm forty in a few months crisis. Oh, and oh yes, my yes, usual love of nostalgia 
is it's now being weaponized against me. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I. I. Uh, what was it? I was. I was rewatching a bunch of Reeves and Mortimer stuff. Vic Reeves' Big Night Out and Drop the Dead Donkey, which was a really good satire of. of it had a lot of topical humor, but a really good satire of corporate executives and mm-hmm. exec speak, which for something that was in the nineties is one of those things that's so fucking relevant still hasn't aged. Right. But when I think about how long ago things were now, Oh yeah. I feel dreadful. No, I, uh, I was listening to wait, wait, don't tell me, which is a news comedy show that's like performed live and, and released by NPR every week. And and that's just, you know, one of the nice light things I like to do to get news stories that I've missed or, or whatever. It's a fun little show and I like it a lot. Um, but sometimes they make jokes on it. They were asking a question of a, uh, a millennial, uh, about, uh, James Bond. The, there was oh, an dear. Ian Fleming biography that came out with the revelation that James Bond's name wasn't always going to be James Bond. He had a different name in mind. And when the person didn't know the answer, they, you know, they always give a clue. And yeah. they said if, uh, if they'd had this first name, they wouldn't have gotten any respect. And then the host had to immediately stop, realizing that they're speaking to a millennial and say, you're not going to get that joke. You're too young. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that hurt a lot. That hurt a lot. Um, Those ones are tough when it's, mm-hmm. when it's a joke that could have only existed in its time. Yeah. Um, we discovered this with the aforementioned Super Mario Brothers live-action film. Mm -hmm. Um, There were jokes in that film, or there is a certain joke in that film, that I didn't get. Um, Because even though I was alive in in 93, I did not know this. And by the time I rewatched the film as an adult, I thought the Reebok logo on the Bob-omb's feet was shameless product placement. It is not, I mean, it might still be, but it is a specific joke about Reebok at the time were doing a step aerobics thing. Mm-hmm. That's the joke. Yep. I never got that. It was just product placement to me. But for many people at the time would have gotten that joke. Yeah, yeah. Anyone watching now, even if they were, well, they watched it as a kid, but just didn't like know that it it's something so lost to history and is only really known because there is one person on the internet calls himself oh, the arch- Super Mario Brothers movie archive. God bless them. It's not an archive, it's one person, but they have saved every scrap of information, every newspaper cutting they could find, every interview they could find everything about that film which also hasn't helped the midlife crisis thing. <laughs> so as i think about preservation and how much can be lost if there isn't that person and when that person goes mm-hmm. it will everything will eventually fade but have you listened to the rap yet 
the Super Mario Brothers 3 deleted scenes that was the political arc of the henchman Spike and Iggy that culminated oh, yes. in them activating and rapping. This is in the Morton Jankel cut, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. For those who don't know, the uh, Morton Jankel cut was a version of the film put together by the Super Mario Brothers archive person, assumingly with help, but I, I don't know the specifics on that, uh, that reinserts content that had been cut from the theatrical release of the film, and it's named the Morton Jankel cut in honor of the director's yeah, there's 15 minutes extra footage, some of it explaining some, like, big, like, inconsistencies in the film. Like, where did the slime come from that Cooper trips up on mm-hmm. in the Devo chamber? There's a whole scene that shows him, like, devolving someone until they turn to slime. And I genuinely believe that Super Mario Brothers, the movie, would have become a lot more of a cult classic had the Spike and Iggy content remained. Mm-hmm. Because in this <laughs> in this fucked up adaptation of a children's video game, there is two henchmen going woke mm-hmm. and <laughs> turning babyface by doing the thing that got Toad devolved for earlier in the film, which is something I realised, yeah. mm-hmm. because he was like for dissenting writing songs about Cooper that criticise him. And that is what the henchmen do to, like, officially turn face is they start doing dissenting songs. And and the rap is is shit. Mm-hmm. But the the lyrical content, like, it's, you reptilians, you number in the millions. Like, <laughs> just preceded by Mario telling them it's your world do something about it and i'm like if that had been in the fuck this would have like this would have been yeah. a cult, a lefty cult classic yeah but it was made in 1993 and that was not going to be included in 1993 by film executives that, most likely now they had a political film in mind they wanted it to be a political movie Morton and Jankel were advertising people and done, done some music videos and um, wound up with this after the success of Max Headroom. I say, and I say. Yeah, so that's why that is there. That is who they were. Yeah, that it explains a lot. Yeah. The Max Headroom connection. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a diversion there. Bit of a diversion. Um, yeah. Not an unpleasant one. You've been enjoying making models. Yeah, well, I have been enjoying yeah. making models. <laughs> and the... Uh, <laughs> I, I will say this game is it's pretty cool. Uh it takes a lot of the frustrating, annoying, you know, it just speeds everything up in the process of putting together one of these things <laughs> while still utilizing a lot of the techniques and introducing them in an effective way. I think I'm on like my fifth or sixth model that I've thrown together. And, you know, it's it's taught me assembly, it's taught basic painting. And um, introduced so, uh, decal application, washing, and dry brushing yeah. so far. Um, and airbrushing. So all of these little elements have already been introduced within about five models. And all of the things are easy to execute. They're so, you know, very simplified. When you paint something, 
the pieces are individually identified and you can just splotch color your base coat. But then you do get that sort of fine detail control when you get into the washing and dry brushing. It's pretty satisfying, actually. One thing I did want to note is the music that's in it. Um, the opening theme in particular, when you're on like that opening menu, th now this all has to be like public domain acquired, you know, music of some sort. There's no way somebody paid for this. Uh, but that first one, that comes right out of 80s porn. I swear to God, I've <laughs> heard it somewhere. Um, I'm going to be like going nuts, wondering what inappropriate content I have seen associated with that audio in the past. It is just a treat. Uh, yeah, this model builder is, it's fun for what it is. If you have an interest in building models that is more passive and not a lot of experience, you'll actually learn some stuff about how people achieve effects and things like that by playing it. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's neat. It's worth checking out. Yeah. Cool. Laura, you play anything else? Yeah, so we're like nearly an hour in. Are we uh, really? Oh I, my I, gosh. I'm gonna try and quick I'm gonna quickly try and rattle through the two time sensitive games I want to talk about this week because this this week is the week where they're kinda relevant. Uh so first of all, I've got a survivor's game to recommend, or a demo for one at least, that is really, really, really promising. Is this the Deep Rock Galactic one? Yeah, Deep Rock Galactic Survivor. I've heard of this, yeah. I haven't played yeah, it yet. So I've talked about Deep Rock Galactic before on this show. It is a sort of co-op uh, game about a bunch of dwarves doing sort of mining-relating tasks uh, as a group and then trying to get back up to the surface. And I really like Deep Rock Galactic. I think it's got a good sense of humour. It is a well-made, fun game to play with other people. But specifically, I really love how well-supported that game has been in terms of, like, having a really, 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 like, multiple years long tale of... Uh, consistent free additional content added to it. It has been supported really well. It's made me very sort of willing to look positively on on what they're doing. And they have put out a demo that is available for I think the next week or two um, for their Survivors game, uh, Deep Rock Galactic Survivor. Um, it's going to be releasing in early access by the end of the year, but the demo that is out is surprisingly far-reaching already just in the demo. Um, it is a top-down survivor-style game. You pick a character class uh, and uh, potentially a modification to that character class that will be your sort of starting weapon and some starting uh, information. Uh, and the way that the, the one level that is there in the demo uh, is available in a couple of different difficulties, but the way that it's framed is... You have five levels of depth you're trying to get down to complete a run. And each of those levels will have um, a bunch of waves of enemies that are coming in to try and kill you. Uh, a number of uh, resources you can be mining to uh, either get permanent upgrades between runs or to uh, get upgrades within runs. Uh, between each floor of the run you have a little shop that you can be spending certain resources on to like, purchase additional upgrades as you go. Uh, once you get a little further into it, you unlock having little side objectives on each level that will be, like, collect X number of this uh, little mushroom, funky mushroom that's uh, growing around on the level. Uh, and it's not strictly, like, a time limit uh, for each level, but it's basically 
there is a timer going, and at certain points in the timer, more waves of enemies will come in that you have to survive. There will usually be, like, a big, tough elite enemy at the end of that level. You defeat that enemy, you've got 30 seconds to run back to your drill and drill down to the next floor. It works really well. I was a little dubious when I first saw it, because one of the first things that stands out about it visually is it is, it is in 3D. It is a 3D top-down survivors game. And uh, I'm happy to say it, it 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 is clear enough to understand what is going on on Steam Deck, and it runs really nicely on Steam Deck, even at its most like chaotic and full. They do a lot of really nice stuff with like visual effects to have that sort of vampire survivors esque dopamine hit of like lots of sparks going to make you feel like you're doing something fan uh, like fantastical. But they do really nice stuff, and I'm glad it's in 3D because they do stuff with uh with lighting and things being easier to see as you get closer to them and as you mine through walls that I think is really to the benefit of how how it's paced. Um, the demo, as I say, is is really in-depth. Um, there is a level with a couple of different like difficulty modes to play it on, a character and a variant for that character. The entire, like, the first several levels of uh, the full between-runs upgrade tree are available... Um, for your sort of, like, bumping your stats up as you go. But there is a whole bunch of, like, do these missions, unlock new weapons, unlock new upgrade types. Like, I've I've been playing this, like, five, six hours, and I'm still unlocking new things in the demo. Hmm. A few things I really like that this does. Um, you start with just one weapon, but you unlock more weapons uh, specifically by reaching um, level thresholds. Um, so it's always a certain number of levels before you get an additional weapon. You can have up to four weapons. Most of them, uh, attack the nearest enemy to you. Uh, there are a couple of exceptions. There are some weapons that will attack in, like, a cross pattern or will circle you or things like that. But the standard is attack the nearest thing to you. I wasn't, I wasn't sure how that would go when I heard that. In practice, the system works really well. Um, I like that you can both mine and shoot at the same time. Mining doesn't mean you have to stop attacking the enemies that are coming for oh, you. Oh, nice. Which, you, which means you can be mining your way th like through a rock wall and shooting behind you as you go. And that's really nice. Um, I like that as you progress further through it, you start getting more ways to specialize your weapons. Like, uh, let, let's say you've got four weapons and you focus on leveling up just one of them. Your weapon has a level. And at, like, level 12 with a specific weapon, you get offered, like, a big modifier, and you get a couple of choices, and it'll be, like, drastically improve these stats, but drastically decrease these stats, or change your weapon uh, damage type entirely to this damage type. And I, I like the way all these systems end up going together to feel like you have a lot of control over your build in a game that is so, like, you're dropped into a place just... Grab as much as you can and get out. It's feeling really impressive so far. The demo is well worth going and checking out. There is a surprising amount of play to be had in it. I am somewhat willing to put some faith into uh, this being a game I could pick up in early access and not feel like I've been ripped off. In as much as, from what I've seen, they're targeting the Vampire Survivor's price point. Mm -hmm. This is going to be like a fiver when it, when it comes out. And you know what? I've had enough fun with this demo already that if there if if I pay a fiver for the early access version by the end of the year and like there's there's not that much more in there, 
I'd still probably feel like I got the five is worth. Mm-hmm. But they've already outlined, like, at launch, here's how much extra there will be on top of that, and here's sort of our, uh, our sort of look forward. And I'm like, you've been pretty good about updating Deep Rock Galactic for a long time. I'm pretty willing to give you a five when this comes out. Yeah, so. I would have some confidence that they'll have a lot of yeah. content long term for that. Yeah. Uh, so that's Deep Rock Galactic Survivor. Go check out that demo while it's uh, while it's up. It, it's looking really promising. Uh, the other one I want to get out of the way quickly because it... I was going to say it comes out this week. It comes out this week for people who are willing to pay extra. We'll get to that. Forts Forza Motorsport 2023. So, I don't generally get on with sim-style racing games. I talked maybe a year or so ago when Gran Turismo 7 came out about the fact that I just don't get on with these games. They require me to be too precise and too perfect and to know too much about cars that I don't know. I just can't get on with them. Um, Gran Turismo 7 in particular was really disappointing because that it was like three years into PlayStation having this really good run of every first party game they release being pretty good about accessibility. And then Gran Turismo 7 is just this weird backstep. Forza Motorsport is really damn impressive in terms of accessibility generally, and I have a couple of like little things I'll say at the end, but generally speaking, I really like this game's approach. Um, it has a really nice, simple, yes or no toggle uh, accessibility menu on first boot. Uh, one of the things in there that's really interesting is they default to having driving assists on, and they recommend if you are not... Like, they have that on as default so that people don't feel bad about going, I'm not great with this genre, uh, do I turn it on? They're just like, nah, nah, just turn, we'll turn it on as default. If you want to turn these things off later, don't worry about it. Uh, so as default, it gives you a certain degree of assistance with uh, the technical racing driving. Uh, but there's a bunch of really nice accessibility stuff in there from... Um, being able to really customize what elements of sim racing driving you struggle with and getting additional support on that. Uh, there is the uh, Forza Horizons rewind function where uh, you can, on most of the difficulties, you can just hit rewind at any time and rewind the race with no penalty and just start, you know, go back a cu- like around that corner you fucked up and start from there, you know, so you don't fuck up a whole 10 minute long race on the last corner. Um, there's a lot of good customizable difficulty stuff going on in terms of you can separately customize the difficulty of the enemy AI drivers on the track, the uh, the rule set by which you are expected to uh, abide, and that sort of includes like, do you have to worry about like car damage destruction? Uh, how readily will you be penalized for going off the track? Things like that. You can change your uh, starting position in the lineup of, of cars, and it will give you an estimated position, like, based on your practice laps and the difficulty you've set, we reckon you'll probably come this position, like, in this position range. Do you want more or less challenge by moving yourself forward or back? All of this stuff is really nice. Um, there is some very ambitious stuff in there, uh, for blind gamers, uh, and the reviews I've seen from blind gamers have been really, really promising on this. Uh, for making this technically focused racing sim playable by sightless blind players uh and this comes in the form of a bunch of uh there is audio description for cutscenes. there is a bunch of um audio assists for things like uh panning the audio left or right to tell you where the sort of expected uh driving line is or uh an audio cue that pans left and right to tell you how close you are to the side of the track and uh some of these i've been using as a sighted player because i find them really useful like 
having a voice read out to you upcoming turns and what direction and what strength of turn they will be, so I don't have to keep glancing at the minimap. Really, really awesome stuff that I very much appreciate. It, it is nice to see a sim racing game not use the fact that it is a, you know, gritty technical game as an excuse not to be accessible. However, two little things. One, uh, I know it's technically by a different team, but as I really enjoyed Forza Horizon 5 having uh, American and British Sign Language interpreter support in-game, and I was kind of surprised that Forza Motorsport didn't have that. I get that it's a different team, but it's one of those things where it was the first setting I looked for, because in my head I was like, Forza, it has that accessibility setting, right? The other thing, and I, I'm going to keep hammering on about this, Xbox really seems to be trying to quietly move towards normalising pay extra to play five days early as a standard. Mm -hmm. It is disingenuous to say that Forza, uh, Forza Motorsport is available day one on Game Pass. It's not, unless you spend an extra 30 quid. It is a monetization method that is capitalizing on fear of missing out, which particularly impacts people with uh, disabilities that impact impulse control. And I will not be quiet about the fact that if you are a company that is trying to position yourself as forward-thinking on accessibility, you are going to have to reckon with the fact that this is not an accessible monetization strategy. It is a monetization strategy that particularly is egregious against disabled people and that I don't think can be at home with a company trying to be more accessible. Yeah, it's what we've said about microtransactions as well. Yeah. You're absolutely right. This, it's exploitative. And if you're exploiting people, you, where do you get off preening your feathers about how accessible you are. Yeah. So this game is undoubtedly a really good step forward in many, many, many ways for making technical sim races more approachable, more accessible. Just, I wish that I didn't have to give the caveat of Xbox, please stop trying to make this a thing. I'm going to be really disappointed in you if you make this a thing. Uh, so there we go. Quickly rattled through my, uh, my two things. Uh, Steph, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about uh, this week? I shall also rattle. Um, so I've gone back to two old games, many years old games, Dynasty Warriors 9, um, just to see if it was as bad as I remember. It is so shit. I am so, I'm so offended by that game because what I predicted when it came out is what happened. When I looked at what they did to Zhang He and took out, like, the weapons he's had the entire series, except for one that they fixed in an update. Um, he's always had two claws that he fights with. In Dynasty Stories 9, he's got throwing knives, which is the same as half a dozen other characters, because I don't think there's one single character in that game that isn't cloned from another character mm. whose favoured weapon isn't the same as someone else's. And after Dynasty Warriors 8, specifically the Extreme Legends version, differentiated all of the clones and had so many varied movesets, the sheer cynicism of taking out one of the most... Iconic characters, iconic by Dynasty Warriors standards. One of the most iconic characters is iconic weapons. And then putting it in a season pass is so naked in yeah. its 
exploitative fucking um, attitude. And I said at the time, I said, this is what they're going to do. They've, they've made all these cloned movesets and taken out all these weapons. And I guarantee you they are going to sell them back to you. And checking the game out again, that is exactly what they did. That game was so bad, it redefined my relationship with one of my favourite series. To the point where I don't really much care about Dynasty Warriors anymore. It was that ruinous um, because it just threw into a, a harsh light exactly how they've been coasting for years. It's so heartbreaking because it has yeah. been such a huge part of your life for mm-hmm. God knows how long, like 20 plus years. Yeah, yeah. Like ever since Dynasty Warriors 3, it was one of the games that got me into gaming in a, a like a real serious sense, not just a, oh, I like playing some games. I got hooked on that and partially started getting into games criticism because of it. The first video game I ever wrote on a website that I believe no longer even exists um, was Dynasty Warriors 4. Um, I love that series. Loved. And while... Tecmo Kobe still puts in the fucking effort when it's someone else's license. Like, I'll always pay attention to a Hyrule Warriors. Mm. The Dynasty Warriors is... Dynasty Warriors 9 is a truly disgusting game. Um, real shame. I will quickly touch on Helldivers as well. Helldivers 2 is coming out, and yes. I didn't know that. No? But, oh. Well, I've, I've known it for a while, but I didn't see any big announcement. I was just scrolling on the store one day and went, Oh! Okay, I remember, I could be remembering it wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure I fucking loved that game. I fucking loved it. I gave it a, like a 9 or 10 in review. Like, Yeah, like I, I feel like I was around game. the same. Fucking wonderful game at the time. At the time. You're not into it now? Not feeling it now? I, I, there's still a lot I like. And, and Did you have anybody to play it with at this point? That's the funny thing. The last time I tried to go back to Helldivers, it was dead. It was because it's so focused on multiplayer. Right. It was unplayably dead. Yeah, there's a you if you are if you are willing to adopt a specific play style and commit to that, the game is playable single player into like late game missions, but it is really, really hard and so specific in how you have to approach it that it's not particularly fun. And and that's part of the problem I've had going back to it. Because um, I don't know what happened. The game's world is very different now. Updates may have brought people back. Mm-hmm. Like, I logged on and got an achievement for winning the Great War Against the Bugs. Now there's like all sorts of cyborgs and shit running around, which I think were in the original. But yeah, like there everything were three. Shifted. I think there were three uh, factions. Three factions, and yeah. the one you were at war with would you know change from like season to yes. season or something. That's it. Okay, uh, so I misremembered that, but yeah, so they're on the cyborgs right now. Going back to it, the gameplay itself, the shooting the missions, the the interesting way you use equipment mm-hmm. with the opening up, a, like holding down Having the menu. Having to enter in the little code. 
little up, down, left, right codes to get stuff. It, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love how you, you can't, you know, it's not like, it's not like the action stops. You're still vulnerable. In yes. fact, in, in a multiplayer situation, you often need to communicate to your teammates that, all right, I'm going to deploy something, defend me, which I love. Yeah. The issue I'm having is the friendly fire. Is oh, it's always been, yeah. killing me. Yeah. I know. I, I, I loved it in spite of that back in the day. Um, talking again about the transcendent thing. I I hope it's not in the sequel, I honestly do, because it's it's not just players shooting each other. Items like the automatic minigun, basically a turret, mm-hmm. it's a downright trap because it doesn't discriminate. No. And it will turn round while you're trying to shoot something to shoot it too, and it'll just shoot you. Yep. I have some footage I collected from yesterday where, in quick succession, players kept spawning on top of me and just crushing me. And there was one level where I died five times, and most of it was because someone kept running me over by accident in a tr- in a bike. Uh-huh. And it wasn't fun. That's the thing. It wasn't fun. When I was playing this, that was the case then too. And where I can absolutely understand the frustration for a a, a player who wants to succeed in that. Yes, I take a more Fall Guys approach to my feelings on Helldivers. These things are just going to happen, and you're either going to win or you're not, and either way is fine with me. I've always liked the friendly fire element of it. Uh, I think that it is... I think Helldivers is one of the most uh, you need to work and communicate as a team games of its genre because of things like that. Because it's all manageable, you know? If you're prepared and aware and conscious of the information that you need to make the right decisions in the moment. But the problem then comes in with your online matchmaking and things like that. Having a cohesive team is far from a guarantee. Um, And so, yeah, it, it could definitely be a frustrating slog for people. I always thought it was just a really neat thing that I loved even when I would get crushed repeatedly by an incoming returning character. things I just, that's my, I always took it as my fault. I was not paying attention to all of the information and it was available to me. But I see where well, you're coming with from. With someone with um, attention deficit sure. disorder. <laughs> yes. It really sucks. Especially when new players spawn in because I'm not expecting it. Mm-hmm. And if I'm shooting something and they drop in so quick yep. and it, and I've not even moved. Yep. It's like they have laser guided landed on my fucking head. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like if I were playing more with, with friends. Yes. Cause I, I very much play with randoms and these days you have to, I've always enjoyed playing with randoms and very rarely feel the need to not do that. I don't like talking. I'm very self-conscious talking in just audio. Sure. She says on a podcast. Um, 
but but like chatting on mics, I've, even if it's someone I know, I feel self conscious a lot of the time. Yep. Um, yeah. So I don't. I like even games where they're like, oh, you've got to play it like with friends and you've got to strategize and talk. I've gotten just fine with most games, but I think Helldivers is one of those games that truly would benefit because half the time I'm getting crushed and mm-hmm. or knocked over and needing to be picked up. And all I'm thinking is the other players must think I'm a fucking dickhead. And it, it just is frustrating. And, you know, I know I, I bring it up a lot and Laura brings it up a lot, but that's because it's always relevant is, is having ADHD mm-hmm. um, where it's, if you weren't paying attention, it's your fault. It's, it's hard to swallow that when it's not your fault, when when the lack of attention or hyperfixating on something to the degree of, of exclusion is 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 not your fault. It's your brain. Um, so I I think if 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 there wasn't friendly fire, I'd have gone back to the game and loved it like I used to because mm-hmm. it did not add to the game for me and. I turned it off yesterday after a while getting back into it and, and enjoying it. Yeah. But I finished a mission at one point and was like, I, could, I am sick of being chewed up by my own turrets um, while trying to keep out of their way. So it's still a great game, like beautifully put together. Yeah. I am very excited about the sequel. And even if it's got friendly fire, I will play it and I will try to love See- it. I'm not excited about the sequel. No? No. They've changed perspective. It's now an over-the-shoulder shooter. And that holds so much less appeal for me than that top-down Diablo-esque perspective that it had. Um, Yeah, I'm really not keen to check out the sequel. I I hope it's good. I hope people like it. But I don't think it's going to be for me. No? Okay. Yeah. Well, I I do want to check it out. I there's a lot having gone back to Helldivers there's a lot of stuff I'd like to see I'd like to see the setting explored some more yeah oh yeah the the Starship Troopers style universe with um like the idea of auto democracy mm-hmm. where they just ask you your opinions and it automatically votes for you um the characters yelling things like how about a nice cup of liberty all that shit all the jingoism it's got a great little world. Yep. Yeah. So that is what I've been playing. Hour and twenty minutes yeah. in, I realised a lot of that was me rambling and monologuing. Valuable. That's okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, are you ducking out? I'm now? gonna duck out. Um, I've got to try and get this Baldur's Gate three review up before I pass out. Finally, written one. So that'll be Ooh. on thejimquisition.com. Hopefully, before this goes up, so you can see that on thejimquisition.com. I'm also working on an El Paso Elsewhere video. I'll just do all my little sign-offs. Yeah. Do check out this week's Jimquisition because an old friend has returned and a lot of people were excited for it. Uh, Miniature fantasy Willem Dafoe. Um, I found him um, amongst some of the moving boxes that we just put up into one of the rooms and left. Mm-hmm. Um, I was digging through, found him, got excited. His hand fell off. <laughs> um <laughs> So that's just been taped up under the sleeve. But people were so happy to see him back, and that makes that makes me happy. Um, 
My next wrestling date is October 10th. I will be in Manchester for Sovereign Pro Wrestling. You can look them up at SovPro is their um, social on on Twitter and that. Um, My next date after that is, I believe it's October 28th in Blackpool. That'll be PCW. They're doing a Halloween show. I've been informed that I am going to get to have a no DQ match um, with Ooh. a kind of Halloween-y sort of theme. Um, if you ever saw anything from my last no DQ match with Kid Bandit, you will know that I go fucking hard. When it's a hardcore match, I go fucking hard. PCW is a family show. Don't know how much I can get away with the thumbtacks, but they're in Pokeballs, so we'll see. Um, and that's, that's that. Uh, thank you all so much for you know, all of the support and that. I am going to duck off and, and go be tired. Um, thank you so much, Laura and Conrad. I had a particularly delightful podcast today. Yeah. It's been a lovely it's been one. Fun. Yeah. yeah. I hope you get some sleep soon. Now run away before we talk about <laughs> everything that's depressing with video games. Yes, I, I would like some nice dreams. <laughs> uh, <laughs> see ya. See ya. Right. Right. Let's let's dig into the news. Oh boy. Oh, there sure is more. There sure is more this week. So this started as something that was rumoured and then sort of got confirmed. Uh, Epic Games has laid off 830 employees. Wow. Lots of companies that they acquired, they're very quickly selling back off. And, oops, we were spending more money than we were earning. That's your problem, entry-level people within the company. Fuck you. Yeah, it's not it's not a great uh it's not a great look. They've been acquiring 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 trying to establish themselves as uh the alternative in the PC space. And well, for one, I don't know if the PC space is large enough, <laughs> frankly. Mm-hmm. But um and and Fortnite I mean, I haven't looked, but is Fortnite doing as well as it used to? I would imagine by this I mean, point it, it probably plateaued. I, I, I imagine it has to have slowed down at least a little, mm-hmm. I would think. But, uh, yeah, so there's a whole bunch of little stories that sort of came out of this. Um, they're selling they're selling off ba- uh, Bandcamp, which, look, I can't prove that this is why they're getting rid of Bandcamp, but I will point out a thing that's of note bunch of Bandcamp employees unionized recently and uh when they had to start picking some companies to get rid of epic sure did choose to get rid of that one another interesting conspiracy theory about this and i i i can't speak to this but i did think it was interesting the Bandcamp acquisition coincided with the period of time where they were fighting with apple over app store fees and bandcamp had some other prior agreement that um the the allegation is that epic acquired them to get access to that alternative agreement so and try to apply it to their other business um which seemed like Seems like a kind of a wild gambit to attempt, and that sort that sort of makes me think probably not the case, but an um, interesting uh, theorizing that we're doing over here. So a bunch of stories came out of this. First of all, 
Uh, a lot of people did not like uh, Tim Sweeney's uh, statement on this matter, uh, and if you go read it, it's it's smarmy as fuck because it's a lot of Tim Sweeney going, "Yeah, we decided to buy a lot of companies, and we thought we could make that affordable, but like, no, we we were making we made a bad decision. We bought more companies at once than we really should have done. That's on us." Yeah. Anyway, we're cutting these jobs to find uh, to stabilize our finances. So fuck off. What? Yeah. Uh, if, which, if you fucked yeah. up, what you should do is have to give up your stock options to people who make yeah. better decisions. Yes. Uh, other stuff that came out of this: um, Mediatonic, the developer behind Fall Guys, has been severely impacted by these job losses. Now. Initially, the the rumor that was doing the rounds was that they had fired everyone, that that team just didn't exist anymore. Uh, they are very clear to say, no, we didn't get rid of everyone. We've just, you know, the team's been severely impacted, which could mean anything up until and including there's like three people yeah. left. Oh, that's a bummer. Um, yeah, that that really fucking sucks for that. that well, team. I mean, what a like what a rise and fall. Like yeah, unreal. It's it's been like what three years? I, that that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. You know, to go from an indie published, um, you know, Devolver published game. Yeah. To then, why? Oh, I wow. I feel. Yeah, that that one really fucking sucks. Uh, also, of note, and I forgot to mention this before, that eight hundred and thirty people uh, being let go. Is roughly sixteen percent of uh, of all of Epic Games staff, so that's like one in eight people got laid off. Which is just to give you a sense of that scale. This also brought to light another story, not directly connected, but it it, it sort of brought it to the front. You're aware of Hatto Full Boyfriend? I have I've heard of it. I've not played myself. Yeah, the the pigeon dating right. sim. Um, so Hatto Full Boyfriend HD was published by Devolver in 2014. Mediatonic was acquired by Epic in 2021, and so like the the way things have worked out is that um, but that that port was developed by Mediatonic, so Epic should have been paying licenses uh, like uh, uh, paying royalties to Hatterful Boyfriend's developer. Apparently, that just hasn't been happening. Oh, cool. The developer voiced their frustration on Twitter, saying, By the way, I've got no royalty payment for Hatif or Boyfriend from Epic since they acquired, acquired Mediatonic back in spring of 2021. I don't think the sales have been zero for two years, question mark. Yeah, that seems unlikely. The obligations were transferred to Epic, but they never sent any replies to any of my emails. And this was in public tweets to Tim Sweeney. Um, do you have any ideas to make contact with the right person? <laughs> and... After this blew up online, uh, as part of Epic's no good, very bad week, uh, the Epic Games Twitter did respond and say, we are looking into this, and the team will be reaching out to you directly. Mm. So, yeah, uh, Indie Dev might not have been paid for like two plus years, because it's clearly not a priority for Epic, I guess. Why would it be? That's everything to do with like Epic firing a bunch of people. There is one other... Epic Games related story and it's interesting for different reasons. Um Fortnite is mandating that individual uh, bits of downloadable content for the game need individual age ratings starting in November. Hmm. And this is interesting because it is setting a precedent that has not been previously set. Generally speaking, 
the age rating on a boxed, you know, on a game as it releases is the age rating for that game. And PEGI and ESRB ratings typically don't change based on additional content in most cases. Um, But they they should be able to, frankly. Like, I, I... I think that this having content for every single piece of downloadable content might be overkill, but having, well, having the capacity, well, but at the same time, you don't want the general rating yeah. to be affected by one small yes. piece of content that 99.9% of users won't ever be exposed yeah. to. But so di- digging into the why of this, I think I can see sort of what's going on. So, Epic made this announcement, and from what I can tell, they're doing this proactively. Yeah, because porn is coming to the platform. I mean, <laughs> the, I mean, kinda. Oh god! Uh, All right. Uh, I mean, the, well, the they thing do is, need to be careful because their audience is children. That is who plays Fortnite. Yes. So the thing is, third-party developed content is becoming an increasingly big part mm-hmm. of Fortnite. The company has been introducing, like, the Unreal Editors, uh, specific Fortnite tools, uh, Creative 2.0 was uh, what it was called and was released back in March. You can do, like, full Unreal Editor stuff and bring it into Fortnite with custom assets, custom animations, custom audio. They're trying to turn Fortnite into Roblox, is, like, the consensus. I can see that. They're trying to go, make your entire own game in Unreal Engine and bring it into Fortnite and have it be a part of Fortnite. But what they're also doing is, I mean, they're pulling an ESRB in a lot of ways. When the ESRB made the transition into digital... They they pretty much stopped rating games themselves. That's not a thing that mm. they do. It's it's done by the publishers now. They shifted yes. the burden of liability, and yes, that's what's happening here. Yes. So uh, the way that this is going to work is that uh, there is something called the International Age Rating Coalition, uh, which has a questionnaire where you go through mm-hmm. and tick all the boxes that apply to your game, basically, and it will you know you feed that data in and. Peggy and the ESRB will spit out an appropriate age rating based on the boxes. IARC's been around for years. I've used it. It's uh, a pretty thorough system, uh, but yeah. The way it's been described is ratings authorities can then modify these assigned ratings based on their own review of the published experience should they wish to. So yeah, this will be you do the questionnaire yourself. We auto spit out an age rating. If someone alerts us that you've lied about what uh, about stuff and you've got the wrong rating, we'll have a look at mm-hmm. it. But yes, the the intention here is that this will be compatible with console like age limits yep. in like parental yep. control, and it will be automated. Yep, and this is basically Fortnite trying to get out ahead of the problems that uh, Roblox has had with this game is for children. Why was my child able to click on a game that was uh, what what was the shit that was like talked about a while back, like prostitute simulator and shit like that mm-hmm. in Roblox? Like they they want to keep kids away from that content while trying to make their Roblox. And I'm like, yeah, I I get it. Yeah, I get it. It does set an interesting precedent that we've not really seen elsewhere done. Other news of job losses. Um, Team Seventeen uh, is having a bunch of redundancies happening. We don't know the exact specifics, but there are going to be large cuts to their QA department, as well as cuts to staffing across most other areas of the business. Yeah, you know, this is a 
this is a company that has been around forever. Like, for fucking ever. And yeah. just sort of trucked along. Like, you don't hear... There's never any controversy around them. There's never any, like... Uh, weird they're just they've just been there sort of trucking along in the background and i kind of want to know more about team 17 if there's anybody who's worked for them that wants to like send me an email because i'm intensely curious about that business i mean I, i expect it's just a small shop and and maybe it's just been well run all this time to sort of keep itself uh going but um yeah, I I really would like to know more about them. The thing that's really curious to me about this is that alongside, like, look, you hear that, like, QA is taking heavy hut, uh, sure. cuts, and that's not surprising. QA always takes the brunt of these first. But the company's CEO also left as part of this. And they're very, you know, they're, they're saying this was an amicable departure, but you do wonder, it's not often you see a bunch of firings within a company all at once and also the CEO goes. And I'm curious what's going it's, on it, there. It's not something you see much anymore. You used to see it more. Yeah. Um, and not necessarily in the games business, but in other industries. But now this, now we have uh, thoroughly redefined the definition of what, you know, ever, ever since fucking Jack Welch, uh, we've redefined mm. what what the responsibility of a CEO is. And yeah. and so as long as they are paying out investor uh, dividends to shareholders, yeah. uh, they, they get to keep those jobs. But it used to be yeah. if the health of the business was failing, the CEO might go. Yeah. But the thing is, is in those situations, there would usually something, it would be explicitly said that's what's going on is right. I am stepping down because I have failed to prevent job losses within the business. Right. That's not what's happening here. They're going, oh, he just coincidentally decided to amicably part ways with the company at the same time as all the layoffs. And it's it's weird. Yeah, somebody shoot us an email. Yeah. Now it's time to get on to uh, PlayStation for this week, because we got some PlayStation stories uh, before we finish up on Ubisoft. That's the little dessert at the end. Uh, so, first up... Naughty Dog has cut a bunch of developers' contracts uh, early, um, making them, uh, laying them off before the end of their, like, contractual, uh, you know, how long they're supposed to be working. This includes people in art, production, and once again, QA testing. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, this story is... uh, It's another story of layoffs, but it's also... Uh, important to bring up because there there's some rumblings going around that maybe some of these people are not being properly compensated for having been let go suddenly and that's going to be a thing to keep an eye on but things we do know according to the Kotaku article that sort of reported on this Naughty Dog is cutting contracts short for outsourced developers uh, sources say no severance pay is given to the being given to those laid off both remaining employees and laid-off developers are allegedly, and I quote, being pressured to keep the news quiet. Which is fucking shitty, because... They have to find a job. Yeah, anytime you see these layoffs happen, the only way people get back into employment quickly, particularly if there's no fucking severance, is to go, 
I and other people from this company have been laid off. It's a company you've heard of. We're looking for work. Can you help? Yeah. That's usually the thing you have to do when you suddenly don't have work. And if these people were being given severance pay, they would have time to find another job. You can't not give them severance pay and also not let them talk about the fact they got laid off before the end of their contract without warning. They need to be able to find jobs. Yep. Uh, we got another PlayStation story, and it's a weird one. Um, a company called Gaming Heads that makes video game character statues has claimed that it was told by Sony to destroy all of its licensed merchandise, including items already paid for but not yet shipped to customers. This is so weird. Yeah. So they posted an open letter to Sony on social media and their website, say, uh, basically apologizing to customers for the situation and saying... This is PlayStation's decision, not ours. We don't know what's going on. They were told to destroy in-stock items, items ready to be shipped, items in production, items in development from franchises including The Last of Us, God of War, Bloodborne, and Ratchet & Clank. They have been making stuff based on PlayStation properties for over a decade, apparently, and they're just kind of unsure what's going on. And Sony has said nothing. This whole thing feels weird to me. Yeah. I want to know what Sony has to say about this. Because this is so out of left field and such strange behavior. Um, Like, the the idea that they aren't allowed to fulfill existing orders. Like, I want to hear the other side of this. Because that's that's just not something that happens. Yeah, and the thing that's weird about it is this is a pretty big accusation to throw PlayStation's way, and we've been, like, five days? Radio silence? Like, not even so much as a we believe the situation is being mischaracterized and we'll, uh, you know, uh, share more going forward. They've just, they just stone-faced this. I, yeah, I want to know. I want to know more. I want to know yeah. more about this before I formulate any sort of thought or opinion on it but it is definitely a strange situation. Yeah. And last up, and this is, like, an important one to bring up. Uh, this broke literally the like minutes before we recorded today. Five former Ubisoft executives have been arrested after, sexu- after a sexual harassment investigation. French newspaper Liberation, or Liberation, uh, reported that uh, yesterday three arrests were made and two further people were put in custody uh, today, which is uh, Thursday the 4th. Um, this follows a year-long investigation into sexual assault and harassment within the company. Um, it feels important to to note that a lot of people have pushed back against the, like, continuing to rail against, the like, about the, the Ubisoft story because going... Well, no arrests happened, so clearly nothing, no crimes happened. And sometimes you've got to spend a while fucking investigating shit. I mean, for crying out loud, we are only now starting to get around to people that matter in the investigation of a riot that we all saw on television January 6th of 2021. Like, yeah, you cannot necessarily expect instant action, though we demand it. Yeah. So, a bit of information on uh, some of the people who have been uh, arrested or put into custody. Um, former Chief Creative Officer Serge Hasquet and ex-VP of Editorial and Creative Services Tommy Francois, both of whom 
had some pretty bad uh, accusations uh, against them. We we don't have to like. Yeah, I don't think we need to deb- to belabor the accusations. They're two of the known people who had pretty fucking bad accusations against them from multiple people. The arrests followed. Uh, we we talked about this a while back that um the Solidaires Informatique Union made uh, some some complaints last year and. They, alongside two uh, specific but unnamed victims back in uh, uh, the summer of 2021, brought these forward to the police, and it's sort of been going on in the background since then. I think it's worth noting that there is a quote from the plaintiff's lawyer, Maud Beckers, uh, that says, The case goes beyond individual behaviour and reveals systemic sexual violence. Which... Mm -hmm is kind of the problem, Mm -hmm. is that this is not just about these five people. This is uh, arrests happening and seeking to address the fact that there is systemic criminal behaviour happening within Ubisoft. So, yeah, this is going to be rough for all, you know, for the the victims involved, but I hope that they get some closure. I I hope that the victims get what they need out of this uh whatever yeah. that is um I, I don't have any faith in police um especially no, french police we've... but um you know we'll we'll see how it goes and, and hopefully uh justice can be you know served in some fashion yeah if nothing else it, it's something to point to the next time someone says Oh, that Ubisoft stuff was overblown. Like, if it was a if if crimes happened, someone would have gone to the police. People have gone to the police. Yep, shit's going on with yep. it. So, yeah, we are continuing the slow road of uh, digging through years of abuse at Ubisoft, and we will see if anything comes of any of it. Um, but yeah, there we go. There we go. That's we it. did it. We, we came out the other side. We did it. Hey, well, Laura. Now that we are hey. on the other side. What could we see of yours out there on this side of that side? Oh, well, there's a bunch of stuff. I can't really tell you a lot of what's coming, but I can tell you that whatever it is that's coming will be found at Laura K. Bars pretty much everywhere. I've got that good unified branding. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. As little as a dollar a month over there really does mean that I can do the stuff that I do. Uh, Blue Sky, Mastodon, all the places. Uh, go check out my full accessibility review of uh, Forza Motorsport. It is up on youtube.com slash Buzz. It's nearly 20 minutes long of, like, really digging into what that game does, and I'm super proud of it. Um, look out for some some big accessibility episodes coming in the coming weeks. I've got some real big projects in the works at the second, so look forward to those. Uh, also, Stories of Autistic Joy. It's a book. It's coming out on October 19th. That's like two weeks away. Uh, what about you, Conrad? Where are you on the internet? You can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Instagram and Blue Sky. You can hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman, where I'm painting minis and playing games and hanging out, and it's usually a pretty chill time. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda and licensed Jimquisition merchandise at mercenarycreative.com. And everything that I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. Just like a certain 
James Stephanie Sterling, who, of course, has already Aww. left. Uh, but do go check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Uh, and reviews and other podcasts and other stuff all getting supported through there um they already said wrestling dates so i think we're good on that uh so i guess we'll see you all next week i mean we're just as we slide out the door more news of layoffs happened literally as we were doing the outro twitch is having layoffs too on that note off Off we go go. bye Bye.